Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15? Today we're going to talk about how Jesus reversed the curse. Now, do you remember back some of the nursery rhymes that you were told as a child? Maybe some of those little songs from your childhood. If you think back with me, uh, they were actually, in some cases, were kind of dark, kind of distressing. So think about Rockabye Baby. And we were told that there are cradles and babies falling out of trees. Remember that? It's a little di distressing when you think back. How about go tell Aunt Rhody? What were we supposed to tell Aunt Rhody? That old gray goose is what? It's dead. You have to go back and brush up on your nursery rhymes this afternoon, maybe. It's been a while. But that old gray goose is dead, we told our children. And then Humpty Dumpty was so broken that nobody could put him back together again. There's something distressing about that, but maybe something positive for us as kids to grow up knowing that not everything's okay in this life. There are troubles, there's brokenness. In fact, a lot of us, uh, we think even today, we've come a lot of years since those nursery rhyme days and we say, oh, I, I know all about brokenness. Maybe you've come in today just keenly aware of pain you're carrying through this life. Perhaps in your life, somebody has betrayed you and you feel broken because of that. Maybe, maybe many years since it happened. Somebody precious to you, no doubt, has died and you, have, you feel a sense of brokenness from that. Maybe you just look over your life and it's just a string of disappointments. This is not how I thought my life would go. I wanted it to go differently than this. Or maybe today you're one who would recognize not only have I been broken by circumstances and other people, but I've done some things in my life that actually have shattered some other people. And so the question is, can anybody put all these broken pieces back together again? And our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is going to tell us, oh, yes, there is one who can and will put all of your broken pieces back together again. I want, you, I want us to see together today that our God is a God of complete salvation. He fixes what mankind has broken. And if we will hold on to Jesus, he will one day give us an experience of total salvation. He'll bring us complete, comprehensive redemption. In the end, you and everything about you will be made well. And we're going to see that in our passage today. So even before we get to the text, this is a perfect moment right where you are to ask Jesus to be your savior. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. You don't have to wait till the text. Right now, you know enough to know, I need Jesus. I have brokenness. Only he can solve this. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. It's what he came to do for you today. So 1 Corinthians 15, let's take on together verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's pause there. Everything else we're going to talk about today, it, it builds on that. Verse 20 again. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. A lot of wonderful truth in this passage. But let's start with this. You and I should be amazed at this astonishing declaration. There is an astonishing declaration. We could say even an earth-shaking declaration in verse 20. Here it is again. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I hope that never gets old for you. I hope even if you might have been a Christian for a long time, you never have the ability to just hear, oh yes, Jesus was raised from the dead. And that doesn't excite you or move you when you ponder it. You know, we saw Paul's words in the last bit of this chapter before we got to these verses. Paul was writing about how hopeless we would be if Christ had not been raised from the dead. How pitiful our lives would be if the gospel were not true. All would be vain. All would be futile. Our message would be empty. Our faith in Christ would be empty if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. That's what Paul has been telling us up to this point. All who had put their hope in Christ would have perished if Jesus had not indeed been raised from the dead. Of all people on earth, Paul said, we would be most to be pitied if there were no resurrection from the dead. But Paul's point is this, the resurrection of Jesus did take place. Again, don't lose your awe over that. The resurrection of Jesus means that we're not to be pitied. We're not hopeless. The resurrection of Jesus means that our faith in him is completely right and will be rewarded beyond our imagination. So let's just remind ourselves of the gospel again, where all of our hope is. And it takes us back to verses three and four. Remember when Paul said this, he said in verse three, for I deliver to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. These are the gospel essentials. There's no gospel without these. Paul says these are of first importance. So of all the things we talk about, of all the things we necessarily preach about, there's nothing more important than the gospel message itself that Jesus died for our sins. Driving in this morning is just thinking about what I was going to share with you. I was just amazed again at what I've known now for many years that Jesus died for my sins. And I asked the Lord on the drive-in, Lord, I don't ever want to get over how amazing that is. Are you amazed by that, that, that Christ died for your sins? In fact, I thought about my life before Christ and things that I'm ashamed of that I did and plenty of things I should have done that I did not do. And I was just amazed that Jesus would take my ugly sin upon himself and he would die. For, what amazing love. Don't ever get over that. Jesus was buried after dying for us. And that's important for us to know. He literally died for us and was put into a tomb but then here it is again. He was raised back to life on the third day. And this is Paul's context here in 1 Corinthians 15, just helping them to recenter on the importance of the resurrection of Christ. In this chapter, he's talked to us about the necessity of the resurrection of Christ. He even talked to us in this chapter about the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. Remember that? Where he talked about how Jesus appeared to these various people after the resurrection even in one occasion speaking to and appearing to 500 brothers at one time. 
Then Paul said, and I had an encounter with the risen Christ, and he changed my life. And so we've seen the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus, evidences for it, the power of this gospel that includes his resurrection. Paul talked about how I'm unworthy to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I used to be a persecutor, now an apostle. This is just amazing, the transformation through this gospel. But we've also seen in this chapter how essential it is that we genuinely repent and believe in Jesus. Paul brings up the fact that some have believed in vain. What does that mean? That means some have made empty professions of faith. At some time in their lives, they said something about I'm trusting Jesus, but it apparently wasn't true because they're not following after Christ. That's an empty confession. And so that cannot be us. We need to genuinely repent of our sins and genuinely put all of our hope in what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And again, I want to pause here and invite you to trust in Jesus right now. What a clarifying statement. If you've been thinking about whether or not to trust in Jesus, this should push you over the line. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Because that's true, let me ask you, what else could you possibly be looking for? Is there anyone greater than Jesus who's going to come along in your life that you would follow him? But Jesus indeed was raised from the dead. There's no one greater coming for you. Or maybe you're thinking, maybe there's a greater love than this. Listen, no greater love is ever going to come along in your life. Here's the one who died for your sins and was raised like nobody's coming along who will love you like Jesus loves you. Nobody else can forgive you. Nobody else can save you. Nobody else can give you life beyond this life. And so today, trust in Jesus because in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's an astonishing declaration. Build your life on that. But there's more to celebrate in this passage. How about this? A transformed destiny. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been given a transformed destiny. Now, as a pastor, as I was putting this message together, at first, I did not want to use that word destiny because that word is so abused by the false teacher, prosperity gospel guys across the land. It's one of their favorite words. In fact, to make sure I was telling you the truth on that, I did a little research and saw, sure enough, it's one of the favorite words of probably the most popular of the prosperity gospel false preachers in our land one of the largest churches in the country, big web presence. And so I just, I just looked up his name and the word destiny, and here they came. And uh, here are some sermon titles from one of the prosperity gospel false teachers of our day. Your destiny outweighs your history. Got a nice ring to it. Your destiny is your calling. I watched that sermon, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. Feed your destiny. Unlock your destiny genes. I don't even know what that's about. Dead snakes and destiny. And so as I did watch one of these messages, by the way, I was on YouTube. I went to double speed. I thought, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this false teaching. But double speed, I thought, yep, predictably, he did what I thought he'd do with that word destiny. It's a great word. But the way they use it is this, that your destiny is that big dream you have deep down in your heart. That thing that you want to happen in this life, that's your destiny. You just need to keep believing it. You need to keep feeding that. You can manifest it by what you say and declare. You can make it happen. It's all stuff related to this life. It's, it's like a very well done, but false motivational speech every week from this particular false teacher. And so uh, one of the examples he gave in the, in the sermon I watched, if you could call it a sermon, your destiny uh, is calling. 
He talked about a, a young girl when she was 11. She wanted to be Miss America. And nobody thought that of her, but some guy kept saying, one day you're going to be Miss America. And he believed it about her. And one day, guess what? She became Miss America. He told her name. That's a, that's a cool story. But there are a lot of other little girls who had as their dream to be Miss America that year. And it did not happen. That is just a small gospel. That if you believe and give enough money and manifest and speak the right words of faith, that you're going to get a really nice life now. And that's where his talks end. But listen, the gospel is much bigger than that. Of course, you and I need Jesus now. It's a difficult life. And we need a shepherd to help us navigate this life. We need his help when we're sick. We need his provision in this very expensive life. But our hope does not end here. The ultimate hope we have as believers is what God has promised beyond this short life. Jesus opened up for us an eternal salvation, an everlasting salvation. Our biggest problem is not that we don't have enough stuff. Our biggest problem is not that we don't have good enough health. We are sinners destined for judgment apart from God. We need forgiveness and we need life because we're dead in our sins. And this is what Jesus came to do for us. This salvation is indeed beyond amazing. So what is our destiny? So it's not, it's not just your life right here and how nice you can make it. But here's our destiny, a fully realized salvation of soul, mind, and even our bodies at the end. So the resurrection of Jesus has accomplished so much for us. So not that you can have a little bit better life now, but a resurrection life forever. The gospel is not trust Jesus and you'll be a little bit happier than you were before Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, hey, you're going to have some new activities to do if you become a Christian. The gospel is that Jesus came and died for your sins that you can live forever. Jesus came to save you from the penalty of your sins. This is why Christ died for our sins. He took the penalty for us that we would not have to perish in hell forever. This is amazing what he has done for us. Jesus not only died to save us from the penalty of sin, but as we've talked about recently, and I want to remind you, he died to save you from the power of sin right now. All of us face temptations. We wish we didn't, but we do in these fallen bodies. But we have power to say no to temptation, to say yes to the will of God. Remember, we saw it back in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's always a way of escape now for us who are believers. We saw in Romans 6, sin shall no longer be your master. Can I speak to you as your pastor and friend for a moment? A counselor here in town was letting me know about a purity group that we can invite our men to go to. If anybody's struggling with sexual sin and pornography addiction and all that, and, and so, which I really appreciate. In fact, if you want to talk about that, I can get you connected for that. But he shared some statistics that I, I've seen before, but they're always sad when you're reminded of just how many professing Christian men are failing against the temptation of pornography. It is a huge percentage of men. And so can I remind you, you don't have to follow that sin any longer. So you may be today thinking, well, I, I have, I've been a slave to this for a long time. I, I understand that. And Satan is, is a great deceiver to make you believe you have to keep going back. And by the way, there's not just men. They tell me women also increasingly are struggling in this area. But I just want you to know the, the power of the gospel. You can be set free from that that has been beating you for years. And a part of how God can help you that is asking for help. So maybe there's a man in your life group, men that you could talk to. Hey, would you pray with me? Help me break free from this. I, I do believe the gospel that I can come out of this. Or ladies, if, you, if you're struggling here, you can talk to another lady. Don't let shame keep you trapped here. You can reach out to one of our pastors and I can also connect you with this, with this 
counselor and this, these groups he's starting. But, but again, we've been freed from penalty of sin, power of sin, from the devastating brokenness we often bring to our own lives and to the lives of other people. So Jesus came to heal our brokenness, our broken relationship with God, to, to bring us back to God. And even at the end, even to heal these broken bodies at last. So notice here, Jesus's resurrection is considered first fruits for us. Verse 20 again, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's he talking about when he talks about first fruits? Well, the Israelites, when they would have their harvest, they would bring the first fruits as an offering to God, showing gratitude, but also anticipating all the harvest that they're going to need that's going to come. Maybe when you've done some gardening in your own yard, it's exciting when you get the first produce from that garden and you're like, oh, here's the, here's the first fruits from this cucumber plant or from this tomato plant. This is, this is great. And you're anticipating that more is to come. So here's Christ. He died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And Paul says, that's first fruits for you. There's his resurrection and it's letting you know more is to come. There's a resurrection for your body coming at the end as well. In fact, I love the language here where he describes our death as believers as being asleep in Christ. That's a wonderful euphemism for, for our dead bodies as believers. And so there's a sense in which when you and I die, the scripture talks about a temporary state for us as believers, that our body is buried and we're going to be absent from that body for a while and at home with the Lord. Let's affirm, too, that we do not believe in soul sleep. So our souls aren't asleep. Scripture tells us repeatedly that we are absent from the body at home with the Lord, that we are enjoying his presence from the time we get there. People are active and, and worshiping there in heaven, even now, even as they, they await the resurrection of their bodies, not unconscious there in heaven now, but alive. But our bodies, in a sense, they do sleep. So we're celebrating the astonishing declaration that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We're also celebrating this glorious eternal destiny, our completed salvation that is to come, even impacting these mortal bodies of ours. But now see with me this, that Jesus's death and resurrection fully reverses the curse. And I want you to notice the contrast between what Adam did as a single man and what Jesus did to undo what Adam did. Back to verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So consider with me all that was broken when Adam sinned. Broken fellowship with God immediately. Adam and his wife Eve banished from the garden, away from the tree of life. As warned, if they ate from that particular tree, they would indeed die. And so death became a part of the experience of mankind and really all of creation. So you ask, where did death come from? It came from man's sin. Do you see it here? Verse 21, for as by a man came death. Verse 22, for as in Adam, all die. But aren't you glad the story does not end there? Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So all that Adam broke, Jesus will fix. All that Adam caused to die, Jesus will raise to life. 
We see it here clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, but it's also throughout the New Testament. How about Romans 5, 12? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. He continues this way in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So if we were to summarize that, Adam's sin brought death to all. But Jesus' death for us and his resurrection brings life to all who would believe in him. Jesus has reversed the curse. We see in Jesus the one who has defeated sin. He's defeated death itself. When Jesus would raise other people to life during his earthly ministry, he was showing you his authority over death. And in his own resurrection, we see his complete triumph over death. But our question comes to this, when's this going to happen? When am I going to be raised up with a resurrection body? When is this salvation going to impact even this body of mine? Well, we're told here, verse 23, we're told then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the one that has experienced his bodily resurrection, has ascended to heaven. What about us? We're told, oh, it's coming for you. That was the first fruits. But at his coming, those who belong to Christ also will be raised in the same way. Now, hear how wonderful this is. So our biblical worldview that teaches us this is really diametrically opposed to our secular worldview that we've been raised in. The secular worldview is that you're just matter. You're just biology and really just randomly here nobody put you here there's no grand design it's also random and your life has no purpose and that's why people are just trying to create a purpose let me find a cause to make myself feel significant it's all invented and then when you think if you ask your neighbor well what's going to happen to you after you die if they're an atheist they'll say nothing i'm just going to cease to exist It'd be like your sleep you just nothing and that's their message but the biblical worldview is not that Listen, this life right now has rich meaning as a believer. You're not here by accident. God has a purpose for you and you're fulfilling part of your purpose right now. You were made to worship him and here you are worshiping him. You're to enjoy him. You're to make him known to others. And as Paul said, to live as Christ. But what else did Paul say? To live as Christ and to die is gain. We sang it earlier. It's better. To die is better. That's our worldview. So there's more to come for us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's first fruits. Oh, and glorious things are still to come. And then this, notice with me, Paul writes about a complete restoration of all things to God at the end. Verse 24, then comes the end. And in, in this beautiful glimpse into what's going to happen. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And so these great truths here of what Jesus has accomplished for us. There's going to come a time that's regarded as the end. 
after Jesus comes, there will be this great resurrection of our bodies, and the Scriptures talk about this reign of Christ on the earth. But in verse 26, we're told, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I love these words also, He'll, after he destroys every rule and every authority and power. This idea that all of his enemies will be subjected to him. All things will be in submission to Christ. That's what's coming and what the Bible calls the end. So right now we understand we are a small remnant on the earth. Those of us who sincerely believe in Jesus. We know that we and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and other countries are experiencing varying levels of persecution and oppression it's quite sad what happens to many of God's people in these days. Right now, God is withholding his wrath. He's withholding his judgment until his prepared time. But here, as in the book of Revelation, we're promised there's coming a time when Jesus will indeed rule over all. Here, as in Philippians, we're promised that there's coming a time when every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you want to think more about that and read more about that, can I invite you this afternoon, take up your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 20. It won't take you just a few minutes to read Revelation 20, but it's going to take you to that time that really echoes what we see here in 1 Corinthians 15. That time when Jesus comes, rules on the earth for a thousand years with his risen saints reigning with him, and then he begins to take down all of his enemies. Let me give you a little taste of this. In Revelation 20, verse 4, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. And he goes on from there. We will reign with Christ. There'll be a final battle at the end of that thousand years where there will be Jesus subduing all the nations of the earth. We're told that Satan himself in Revelation 20, you can read about it, when Satan himself will be cast into hell, can I remind you, Satan doesn't go to hell to rule it. He is a prisoner there being tormented forever and ever as he deserves. There'll be a day when Satan is no more. And then even death itself cast into hell. Verse 14 of Revelation 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. How glorious what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. Even the death of death Jesus is bringing to pass. So see it. Jesus has redeemed all that was broken. He defeats death and overthrows all that has been hostile to God the Father. And at last, we're told in this passage that Jesus then takes a redeemed world and all this, and he, he hands it back to the Father. Our salvation, the culmination of all the salvation, is handed back over to the Father through the work of Christ. If you're curious about well, what happens after that, that's the end. What happens after the end? Well, keep reading this afternoon. You're in Revelation 20. Take you a few minutes. Go to Revelation 21. And you'll see how we're destined for a new heaven, new earth, everything perfected. In your resurrection body, you will dwell on this new earth. That is going to be heaven for you forever. So this is great news. But I know right now we're not living there yet. Life's difficult. In fact, this is what my life has been like this week. Here I'm studying and excited about what's coming for us because of Jesus. And then Thursday happened. Thursday, I was putting my grandson into a playpen. I bent over and I have my my twice a year back go out problem. I call it my backsident. And so it happens about twice a year. I'm bending over and there it hit, zing, right in my back. He was fine, by the way, you're probably wondering, he's fine. I was able to take care of him the rest of that, that time, but that hobbled me. 
So I'm studying on resurrection bodies and how great it's going to be while I'm limping around for the last several days. Much better today, as you can tell, moving around. But that was Thursday. Things don't go well here. We're not in heaven yet. But then Friday came and we were, Joy's going to run off to an appointment she had. And I was going to come here. I go into the garage and push the button and nothing. And discovered that that spring that helps your garage door go, go up, it had broken in two. And I learned that my little override system doesn't work when the spring breaks. We have two cars trapped in the garage. That's a weird feeling. I can't do anything. And they can't get to me till tomorrow, the first company told me. Got it all resolved. I'm just making the point. That was my week thinking about when everything's going to be perfect one day. But I bet some of you had a week much more difficult than my week. That's just a little glimpse. Just that reminder. They're not there yet. Oh, but we can go through these trials with God's help knowing this is not as good as it's going to get. This is not our best life now. We are destined for a, a restored earth in everything. Even these failing bodies at the end, when Jesus comes again, resurrected, glorified, never to get sick again, never to die again. This is the gospel. And this brings us back to a question for you. We talked about brokenness at the beginning. What have you broken? You know, part of the answer is this, and it's true of all of us. We have all broken God's law. We're all sinners in the sight of God. That's why we need somebody other than us to save us. That's why Jesus came to give his life for our sins because we've broken his law. Do you see today that you're broken, that you have a broken relationship with God and it's somebody other than you is gonna have to mend that and Jesus is the one. Jesus can put all the broken pieces of your life back together, but today you need to trust in him. Somebody might be thinking, well, you know what I'll do? I'll wait, I'll wait till I die and then I'll appeal to Jesus that he forgive me. It doesn't work that way. The gospel is that you would hear this good news now and right now, humble yourself, admit your need, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation after death unless you've trusted in Christ during this life. And so here's the question. Will you be among those who will be raised to life in what the scripture says, the first resurrection for the joys of the new earth? Are you going to be a part of that? Are you, will you be those who are raised also, but raised for judgment, to be banished away from the presence of God? Oh, I want to urge you to trust in Jesus today. So you think, well, what would I do next? What does this involve? Well, today, humble yourself. Ask Jesus to be your savior. Then you're going to want to be baptized. We had a precious one baptized in the last hour and gave her testimony of what Jesus had done for her. You're going to do the same thing. Jesus saves you, but you're going to want to follow him. And one of the ways you're going to follow him is declaring, I've trusted in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I want to follow him. And then you're going to want to be a part of this church family. And we're going to help each other through the imperfections and pains and brokenness of this life. With great joy, knowing complete salvation indeed is coming when Jesus returns. Let's pray together. Lord, what a glorious gospel this is. It was enough for us the moment we believed when most of us only knew that our sins would be forgiven and we wouldn't perish. We'd go to heaven. That's glorious. But Lord, here in your word, you tell us so many other glorious facets of this salvation. How you're going to make all things right at last. All nations will be bowed before you. Nobody remaining who opposes you. And even these frail diseased bodies of ours made whole at the end and resurrected. All of us beyond imagination for us. We're so grateful you have proclaimed it to us. And Lord, I pray that you'll do your work of saving even now, drawing men and women to you, encouraging your people as well. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.